Hey, this is Robert Mitchell, and this is, I think it's episode 28 or 29 of High Tide in the Dreamtime, based upon the work I'm doing, uh, some essays at my website at www.goingquantum.org, and whatever's passing along my screen that day. And so what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to call it the psychedelic barrel, because People are choosing, or when people choose to work with psychedelics, things happen. And they're not always the intended things. And they're not always the things that are happening just inside them. There's kind of a holism that happens with people who work in these realms. And I'm going to use this past week as an experience that may shed some light on these goings-ons if people are interested in these these healing modalities. So this past week I was uh, working out of town. I was working up in the Bay Area, one of my favorite places in the world, a place where people in Los Angeles often confuse me with being from. And I have a, quite a history in the Bay Area. I lived there. I lived in San Francisco and Marin for about four years when I was in graduate school in my early 20s. It's a very familiar place. Um, work brought me there this past weekend, uh, clients. And it was a fascinating experience because you, because of COVID, I haven't been traveling very much for work, but this was an opportunity to work in a safe space, open air um, situation with a very sort of conscious, uh, aspirational, thoughtful person. And so I took it. And on the way there, the head gasket in my saw blew out on the grapevine which is like the, uh, it's the graveyard for late model European sedans, I think, because man, every time I drive over the grapevine, there are so many cars pulled over to the side that have had, had <laughs> their final ride. Um, there's just something about the altitude and the grade and the temperature that just like, if your car is on its last, legs it's kind of like the coronavirus for your car anyway so my car broke down in Lebec which I guess the best way I could describe it is that it was 35 miles south of Bakersfield now at the moment that my car broke down I thought this trip could be over maybe this isn't supposed to happen but then I thought, well, the person I'm working with is really counting on me. And you know what? I'm just going to rally and make the most of this uh, and do what I can to make this happen in the most powerful way for the person I'm working with. So I ended up getting picked up. They don't have Uber or Lyft in Lebec. Uh, Bakersfield didn't have any rental cars. So I ended up being taken back to Burbank, to the Burbank airport by a beautiful, lovely old woman, older woman who was 76, 
She lived in the hills above Lebec. She showed me some pictures of bears in her trash can. She didn't believe in coronavirus. She thought it was a attempt by the extreme left wing to take down Trump. Um, and as soon as she said that, I rolled down my windows because <laughs> she was worrying me. Anyway, she got me there. I rented a car in uh, Burbank. And I left Burbank at 7 p.m. I'd left Los Angeles to start this trip at 10.30 in the morning. And I got on the road at 7, 7 p.m. And I arrived in Palo Alto at 12.45. And then I was working the next morning. And I really felt like there were times during this, this journey to get there to work in, in this modality I felt like there were forces working against me, of course, but then I felt maybe there were things for me to overcome that were gonna strengthen my resolve and strengthen my wherewithal and really be helpful in this situation. And I found the resources to do that. I never felt like I was gonna fall asleep. I ended up eating a chicken sandwich from Jack in the Box <laughs> along Highway 5 about 10 o'clock at night. I'm still paying for that a little bit, um, but I did get there. And really what this essay is about, is it's about the psychedelic barrel. And there's an essay on my website called In the Barrel. There's another essay on my website called All One Song. And this talk, this little jibber jabber is a little bit about what both of those essays were about. And what um, I want to talk about is I want to talk about that everybody creates an intention when they're working with psychedelics. That's the game. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it for kicks? Are you doing it to heal something? Are you doing it to reveal something? Are you doing it to alleviate some pain or some discomfort or a compulsion or a habit or depression or anxiety? Why are you doing it? That's the big question. Well, everybody's got a different answer to that question, of course, and it's an important question to formulate before having one of these experiences. Now, the other thing is, is what are you hoping is gonna happen? Because I think most people, what they're hoping is gonna happen is that they're gonna have some kind of transcendent, mystical, transformational experience that relativizes their suffering or relativizes their conditioning or relativizes their identity. And that is always a possibility. And I've seen a lot of it. However, psychedelics generally and psilocybin specifically, they have an intelligence in them. They are an imbued intelligence. These chemicals, they have ideas about things. They are ambassadors for a impersonal intelligence. I don't know why they do that. I don't know why they, they've, they've been placed in our awareness, but they're here. And they will tell you what that kind of impersonal intelligence, and when I say intelligence, 
you know, people who've listened to this podcast know I'm kind of into quantum physics and thinking in these terms that when I say intelligence, I mean that there's some intelligence that formed physical and non-physical reality. And it's not anthropocentric. It's not a person. It doesn't have a beard. It doesn't look like Santa Claus. Uh, it doesn't evaluate you in uh, contemporary terms, in conventional terms. It has some understanding of your intention. That's as much as you know. I want to share about that in this instance. Maybe I'll share more about it at another time. So everybody goes into this experience hoping that they get the... Uh, you know, the golden ticket and they take the, the ride through Wonka's chocolate factory and end up with the, you know, factory at the end. I mean, that's sort of what everybody's hoping for. And that does happen. Um, but other things happen as well. And sometimes these other things, which are harder, are better. Now, there is a fear in psychedelic experiences of having a bad trip. And that goes back to recreational use of psychedelics from the 60s, mostly, and 70s, I guess, and the circumstances that people use psychedelics in. People use psychedelics recreationally. They find themselves in situations where they're not safe, they're not sure about the people they're around, they're by themselves, they're, they're, they're uh, in nature, and they're not prepared for what comes up from psychedelic experience because it can often be incredibly revealing and it can often be revealing of things that people have never wanted to experience before about themselves. These can be memories, these can be feelings, these can be realizations, these can be the impact that they've had on other people during the course of their lives with their behaviors. And if that happens and you don't have the proper support and you're not feeling comfortable, things turn bad quickly. I know I've had this experience and I've seen other people have this experience and it is dangerous. Psychedelics in the wrong situations can be very dangerous to people's mental health and they can be very damaging. But the magic of a bad trip, even one that, that doesn't turn out well, is that usually what's happening during a bad psychedelic experience is something that starts to be approached, a, a feeling, a memory, a sensation that the person has never coped with. And some part of them has always protected them from this experience because it knows they can't handle it as it was presented, usually because they were little or it was overwhelming or it was traumatic or it was too much to metabolize at the time. And when you approach it in an unsafe way, some part of you that has always been looking after yourself from the time you're a little kid, even when no parents were looking after you, will go, hey, we're not doing this now. This isn't what's happening now. This isn't the time or the place. You tried to do this before and it was super... Uh, uncomfortable and unsafe. And you know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna scare you away from this. I'm gonna scare you away from this mystery. So you get paranoid, you get frightened, you feel like you're gonna die, you, things get dark. And some part of you constellates in defense of you 
to keep you from experiencing this. It's amazing. So that just go, oh yeah, I had this bad trip on mushrooms with my friends or I had this bad acid trip once in high school. And really what happened was you were approaching something that you were not prepared to experience. You weren't prepared to experience it the first time and you certainly weren't going to have it be experienced this time. So that can be a bad trip. You know, because nothing gets resolved. There's just a lot of fear and discomfort and dread. Dread is a feeling that often people experience because that's what frightens people out of, out of their approach. However, in my experience with people, people can have hard experiences that are not bad trips. And let me make the distinction between a hard experience and a bad trip. I just explained what a bad trip is. It's, it's when you're about to have something happen that you're not prepared for and your psyche kind of shuts down by scaring you away from it because it thinks it's protecting you. And maybe it is. Now, when I work with people, I know that this is a possibility. I know that, that everybody has traumatic experience. I've spoken about this before. Trauma can just be lack of empathy for your most profound self, S-E-L-F, in caps. Not your ego. Your ego is like a callus that you form to your environment so it doesn't fuck with you too much. So people don't mess around with you too much. So you don't feel too vulnerable. So you don't feel too hurt by people's lack of empathy, even if they're smart. Or even if they're just not capable of being empathetic because they have their own problems. That's a kind of fear um, that children grow up with and continue. You see a lot of adults have that fear. You know, it's just built into them because they've never been shown real empathy. Real love for, for deeper parts of themselves. Anyway, when people have psychedelic experiences intentionally... And thoughtfully, they can still approach these very difficult aspects of their experience. Things that they've never remembered before. Things that they've never known about themselves. Things that they've never known about the people who they were raised around. And they can be, in the wrong circumstances, devastated by these realizations because they were coming for the, you know, they were coming for the golden ticket and, and the transcendence and, you know, they wanted Willy Wonka to give them the chocolate factory. And sometimes psychedelics go, you know what? There is something between you and that. There is some unresolved thing that is trapping parts of your conscious energy to keep away. Like you are actually draining yourself. You're draining your vitality because you got this thing in a ball and a fist somewhere that you don't want to see and you don't want to know about because it's potentially devastating to you, potentially devastating to your identity, potentially devastating to your understanding of those people around you. And then what that is, is... That tight fist that, that contains that experience, it takes so much energy to keep that ball of energy around that experience. 
that it drains energy that you could be using for your vitality, for your creativity, for your dreaming, for your imagination, for your sense of optimism and what's possible, for your sense of, of, of just your, your, your levels of energy. And people go through that their whole lives. So in search of transcendence, sometimes the source of difficulty emerges instead. And it's as though the intelligence that's available in something like psilocybin goes, no, 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 no. I know you want to have this experience, but this is actually what's going to be the most beneficial to you in your transformation. It's going to be metabolizing this experience, even if it's not good, in a way you weren't able to the first time you had it because it was too overwhelming. Well, most people in their sense of devastation of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm discovering this. This is devastating. This is not what I wanted. This is not why I did this. I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a bad trip. And my, my thing is that there are no bad trips if you create some meaning in it. And if you sense the meaning of the revelation, why is this being shown to me? What can I do with it? How can I work with it? And in this instance, one of the things I talked about is those experiences, those devastating traumatic experiences are like an eclipse over the sun. They're keeping you from seeing the sun that is the origin of your psyche. Because for whatever reason, people have faded difficulties. You know, the Buddhists call it Dharma. Jung called it fate. However, oftentimes your fate is in your wounds. In transforming your wounds into empathy for other people, into wisdom, and into transcendence. And so when this happens, you're being given an opportunity by the intelligence that has created this entire experience, even though you think it was you that was choosing it. And you can find out things you never knew before and also what to actually do with them and how they have affected you and how they have kept you from realizing your totality, how they've put an eclipse on your kind of eternal totality and how to be less victimized by them. Because a lot of these experiences are experiences that people had when they were little and they were children and they were too vulnerable and too osmotic to defend themselves against them or even to understand them or even to tolerate them. And this experience that seems to go dark because people were, were looking for lollipops and unicorns and rainbows can actually be the exact thing that they were looking for. It's like an archeological dig. And then when they work with what they find, it alleviates their depression. It alleviates their anxiety. It alleviates 
their compulsion. It alleviates their addiction. Because all of these things spring from trauma. And if you can deal directly with the trauma, no matter how painful it is, and most people they can go, oh yeah, well, I wasn't able to deal with that when I was four or seven, but I'm 40 or I'm 50 or I'm 60, and you can deal with it, there comes a wholeness to your entire being where you're able to encounter this experience and see it with the wisdom of years and maybe with the wisdom of the self. Maybe that thing that your ego encountered, that, that while your ego was forming as a child in your environment and damaged it because it imposed on it or it took something from you or it kept you from experiencing yourself in the way that you wanted to or it made you feel unsafe, well, now you're safe and you can see that experience again and you can transform that experience into part of the totality of you or the totality of the intelligence that's behind everything that you are a part of and metabolize it that way, which I think is a wonderful thing to do. You know, I've said this before in this podcast and I, I, I think it's true. I think it's almost like the mantra of this podcast, which is Jung said, insight itself doesn't heal. What heals is a change in transformation where the problems that plague the old state of consciousness are not even recognizable to the new state of consciousness that exists. And in these experiences that sometimes go dark in psychedelics or even in life, there is an opportunity to view them from a perspective that's mature and strong and established and has faith in itself in a way no child ever could, even if it was an extraordinary child. And it's my experience that usually extraordinary children, beautiful children, sweet children, vulnerable children often have the toughest time with these experiences. It's a whole other podcast, but people who do not experience their own light, people who do not experience their own inspiration, people who have been banished, from that experience often we'll be able to see it in children who are naive and born with tremendous gifts and beautiful and they will go after those children like vampires looking for new blood to keep them alive. And some of the darkest things I've seen in my work are exactly that. There are people who were beautiful children that had people around them who didn't have their own light. So they fed off the light of these children. And it could be sexual. It could be violence. 
It could be having a poor boundary. It could be emotional cruelty and seeing somebody suffer like you suffered when you were a child and seeing like some kind of circle is completed in that. But it happens. It's the least attractive part of humanity. But it is our shadow. And a lot of times people come up against this in their experience. It's what they need to be healed. And, you know, oftentimes people talk to me about healthy parenting. Like what do parents need to do? Like what's enough? What creates a healthy person? And what really creates a healthy person is empathy. Empathy for who you are. I see who you are, your good and your struggles and your sensitivities and your proclivities and your talents. And I want to support that. And I don't want to hurt that. And a lot of people grow up in situations where they are hurt by that. And a lot of people discover that after years of seeking in a psychedelic experience, they will find a dark event or period where somebody has imposed on their most vulnerable parts. And the gift of this experience is that overwhelming experience for a child can be re-experienced as an adult, grown up, safe, under no threat, and metabolized. And the weakness and the suffering and the rage-deserving behavior of people who they had been around as children can be understood. Doesn't need to be justified. It doesn't need to be explained. It doesn't need to be, um, no excuse needs to be made for it. But you can see it as an adult, as a peer, or maybe somebody who's older than that person was, and hold the experience of that suffering child. And to me, that's the most profound thing that can happen during uh, psychedelic work. And it's not what most people are going in search of, but it can be the most helpful thing. So you never know what's gonna happen and you never know how you're viewed, but you have to assume that it's all happening for your benefit. And I believe that 100%.